friends, in 1974, a guy named Harry Chapin wrote a song. I wonder if that's already bringing redness to your eyes and maybe a tear on your cheek. You see, the name of the song was The Cats in the Cradle. And there it is, that sound going through your head. You know it well. It is, it's a powerful story that he sings. It's about a, a father and his son. And as the years go by, dad just grows a little bit more too busy to be with us. And when he's 10 years old, he buys him a baseball glove. And dad, come and show me how to throw a ball. Well, I'd like to, son, but it's a little busy at work, an excuse after an excuse. But at every turn, it seems through the song, little boy looks up at dad and says, Dad, I want to be like you. I want to be just like you. Well, as it goes, my friends, little boys turn into men and have families of their own. And now that dad has all the time in the world, every phone call is returned with, we're really busy at work and the kids are sick at home. And dad comes to realize he grew up to be just like me. It's a powerful story, you know? Any wet eyes just remembering that, my friends? Come on, a little moisture forming. It's one of those things that grabs your attention and helps you realize through all of the distraction of life, there are more important things. <laughs> I was afraid I dropped my iPad again. <laughs> and my friends, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture here this morning that I hope will have that very same effect that it will help all things clear away and you will see what matters most. So turn with me in your copy of the scriptures this morning to Luke chapter 16 and we'll fire off in verse 19. Chapter 16 of the gospel of Luke where we're going to discover that living for the riches of this world is an extraordinary short-sighted move. Living for what this world has to offer is extraordinarily short-sighted. And you may disagree with it and wonder about it now, friends, but by the time we're done, we're going to make it all clear for you. So here we are in Luke 16, verse 19, and we're going to see that Jesus makes this abundantly clear by telling us the story of two very different men. Very different men. And as a bonus, we're going to learn some very basic truths. And I'm, well, I'm talking about basic truths about life. For example, we're going to see here at the beginning, everyone lives. But the way they live is very, very different. And we'll notice here, look at verse 19. There was a rich man. I mean, this dude was loaded. Look at the description here. And he was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he feasted sumptuously every day. This guy was loaded. You say, well, you know, what kind of car did he have? I'll tell you, in this day and age, you know, I'll tell you, the days that they were leaving to be able to eat a big meal was a sign of great wealth. To have a belly hanging over your robe was a sign of wealth. It means that you had enough not only to eat, but to continue to eat, to have seconds and thirds and maybe a little something before you go to bed. This guy was living the high life. This guy was living 
the kind of life you dream about when you ask questions like, well, if you could have a home on a lake or out in the country or out in the, you know, and we play games with that. And we somehow subversively create in our mind that these are the good things of life and that these are the things that we should strive after. My friends, this guy had it all. And so we notice that some live like this life is all there is. That was this guy. Me, me, me. More, more, more. Me. No, not you. Me. I want more. More is better than less. That was this guy. But friends, there are others, some who do the best they can with what they have. Some who do the, have the, they do the best they can with what they have. And then we meet the second man who is extraordinarily different than the first. And we notice at his gate, at this rich man's gate where this guy is cramming his face full of food and these beautiful soft clothes and living the high life. And right there at his front door is this guy. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Poor. <laughs> i got to tell you, friends, that word is, uh, is an understatement. Because we find out not only what his name is and his, his financial state, we find he's also covered with sores. Now, the fact that he was laid at a gate likely perhaps could tell us that he was maybe crippled as well. He was laid. He was, I mean, people had to move him to this place. And they thought, well, leave him here. Maybe that old guy in there, stuff in his face, will have some leftovers for him. So they lay him at this gate, and he's covered with sores. I mean, what did he have to do all day? Look around at what everyone else had and pick his scabs. Come on, friends. I know that sounds gross, so stop it. <laughs> My wife's a nurse. Don't pick your scabs. <laughs> See, this is, this is a sad state. We've got two different kind of men. We've got a guy over here who's saying, I'm living the high life. i got it all. I mean, look at the newest threads that I'm wearing, and it feels so good. And you know my, the thread count on those sheets that I'm laying on? I'll tell you, this, this, is, this is the great life here. This is what you want to. This is what you want to sac every, sacrifice everything that matters to get a hold of this. Because ultimately, you'll find it's better. And then you've got Lazarus over here. And perhaps... The word that we might think about in this guy's life is pathetic. I mean, people had to lay him here for one thing. Imagine, no mobility. Not only does your car not work, it doesn't exist. God doesn't even have a bicycle. People have to drag him over here. Maybe because he's crippled, who knows. But he's got nothing but scabs to play with day after day. Hoping that maybe even a friend... You know, if this guy come to visit, we'll have compassion on him day after day. Well, my friends, everyone lives, but the way they live can be very, very different. And truth number two, now the fact is, that was not God's design. I mean, here we are talking about the people of God, the, is, the nation of Israel. You know what's going on here? Do you know that God had designed that no one would be poor in this culture? 
You know, he, he created this thing called the year of Jubilee. Have you ever heard about that? I'll tell you, the year of Jubilee was a great thing. See, the idea is that land would be related to families. I mean, when you think about the Old Testament, you think of all the tribes in the map, you know, that you see of Israel, and it's all divided by a family. Now, the fact is that things might happen. Someone gets sick or somebody, you know, decides they want to sell it. But after 50 years, the year, the year of Jubilee would come, and all of the land returned back to the original owner. It's like playing a game of Monopoly. I mean, you might be the one selling everything off. You know, how about one of these? How much will you give me for this property? You know, but at the end of it all, the, everything went back into the box, and you'd pull it out all over again, and everyone starts out even. But guess what? The people who had more were not willing to give up what they had. And the year of Jubilee simply became something that was written in a book. They ignored it. They left him in this kind of situation. We don't know why this man was poor. It could possibly be because of a decision of his own, a foolish decision or a whole foolish series of decisions. could be some bad decisions of his family. We don't know what it is. Maybe it was the decision of some selfish people along the way. We don't know. We just know that whatever the reason, here he is. Well, my friends, not only does everyone live, living differently though they may be, we notice this basic truth as well, and it is this, that everyone dies. Everyone dies. And verse 22, right there at the beginning, says this, the poor man died. You know, I mean, that's something we should all expect. I suppose the older we get, the more we learn to number our days. We start doing math, you know. See, my mom, she died at 56. My dad died at 60. I'm 52. Well, my dad's dad died at 62. And my grandma lived at 86. And you start wondering, how many years do you have left and what should you be doing with them? You know, because when we're young, we're like, oh, no, we got to get, oh, we got this and we got that going on and we got that and we're busy over here. And one day when all the kids move out, we'll finally have time. And then we realize there's a whole other set of things we get involved in and we put it off. Good idea to number your days, friends, in order that you might realize the value of these days. So the poor man died, you know, and some people are forgotten by the world. They're just forgotten. I mean, who was that guy? Yeah, I don't know. There was some guy at the gate, and pretty soon, like, what are you talking about a guy? At, I don't remember any guy at a gate. And boom, he's gone. Now, the description we have here is the poor man died, and that's it. You know, it doesn't tell us anything about big funeral and all the friends coming, because with the poor, they had a whole different series of expectation. Get rid of the body. This guy's body is trash. A way to go. He was sick. He was useless. Get rid of him. But then we have a bit of a contrast here, my friends. Although thinking about it, reminds me of some missionaries after 30 years on the mission field, coming home, the end of their tour, and they happened to have a diplomat uh, on, on on ship with them. And when they came, oh, there was banners and bands were playing, and everyone was applauding them. And 
And they got off, and the wife looks at the husband and says, that's it? No one is even here for us after 30 years of faithful ministry? I mean, what was the purpose of coming home? The husband looks at his wife and says, baby, we ain't home yet. There's a day. There's a day. Though you may be forgotten here, if you are a child of God, you will not be forgotten there. Well, some people are forgotten, like this poor guy. But some people are remembered. You know, and look at here at the end of verse 22. The rich man also died. But then we have some further uh, uh, illustration here. And the scripture tells us he was buried. What that means is he had a great big funeral. And you know what they used to do is they used to hire mourners. And they would come and fill the air. And they would wail and cry and make a big deal. And they'd have their taste. Oh, he was such a good man. He was a big man. But he was a good man. You know, and they made a big fuss over this guy. And the question is why? Simply because he had cash? <whistles> hmm. Well, my friends, the rich man also died and he was buried. Now, I know what you might think. You might think, well, that's it, right? End of story. Wow, we're getting out of here quick. Well, the fact is, friends, not only does everyone die, but the scripture tells us in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. Everything we say, we do, God has the greatest computer system you could ever imagine because all of it is known. All of it is safely recorded. And one day, God will make a decision on our lives, every one of us. Doesn't matter who you are, where you grew up, what you had, what you didn't. Every comment, every thought, every exhaling of a breath, God knows it all. God knows it all. C.S. Lewis was told about a gravestone inscription that read, Here lies an atheist all dressed up and nowhere to go. To which Mr. Lewis replied, he wishes. Judgment, judgment was coming. It's October, we're talking about scary things. How about we kick it off with this one? What lies next for you? You will live forever somewhere. You will live forever somewhere. What are you counting on? Well, the fact is that one day, very basic truth here, friends, is that everyone will receive their reward. In Romans chapter 2, I want to encourage you to turn there real quick, but keep your finger in Luke 16, okay? Turn into Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. At verse 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance of his patience? He's talking about people who are enjoying the good things that God provide as if they deserve them and ignoring the God who gave them. 
Do you presume that the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Think about that. Sometimes it is the badness of God, the wrath of God, the discipline of God that will turn your head. But my friends, hopefully God starts in your life with the goodness that he has to bring you back, to realize how good and kind God is. But look at verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent, your unwillingness to change to recognize your sin as what it is. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed and he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and mortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, there's that word selfish, right? That's sin, my friends. Thinking and working only for yourself despite everyone else. And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. The fact is, is there is judgment ahead. I know that some people have a problem with the concept of hell. You know, and there have been people who have tried to just explain it away, you know. I mean, there is a major group in this world all over the place that teaches, yeah, there's some rough days ahead till we beat the bad stuff out of you, and then you get to go to heaven. My friends, God's judgment is not only righteous, in other words, it is deserved. It is far more intense than you could ever realize. You want evidence? How about turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6 and read about a guy named Noah? God, look, now I'm not asking you to turn, but I hope you'll look back at it. In chapter 6 through 9 in the book of Genesis, God looks down and sees that every intent and thought of everyone is only evil continually, and he regrets that he even made us. And so he made a plan. And he talked to righteous Noah and said, build a ship, a really big one, an ark. And I want you to bring in the animals and I want you to bring in your family because everyone else is going to die. If you think that God is far too loving to ever create something ghastly like hell, be reminded he flooded and drowned the whole world because of their sin. Hell is real, my friends, and it is a just punishment for sin. And oh, by the way, there is no end to it. So take a look here, my friends. There is a reward. Some will spend an eternity with God. Here at the end of verse 22, we see that the the, the poor man was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And you know what he experienced there? Comfort. And why Abraham? What does Abraham have to do with this, you know? What's going on here, this Hades that we're reading about? You know, in verse 23. And in Hades, we're talking about the rich guy. You know, the poor guy, there he is with Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith. Why is he referred to that? Because in Genesis chapter 15, 
He believed God and God counted it as righteousness to him. It is the ultimate example of how we are saved, how we receive the righteousness of God. It is by faith in response to the grace of God. And so what we also must know about this poor man is that somewhere in all of this, he had faith. People tell, well, maybe he asked him to take him to the gate because he knew the word. I mean, we can make up stuff, friends, but we know one thing. He would not be in a place of comfort if he did not have his faith in God. And Abraham being the great reminder of this. So some will spend an eternity with God in comfort. Now, Hades here is actually a temporary abode here. What we're going to see is there's not only a place of comfort, there is also a place of torment. Torment is related to the word torture. It is intentional infliction of pain. Okay? Let's not mix words in this, friends. We're talking about hell. All right, now one day there will be a, a hell that uh, they are going to move out of this into hell. You know, the account is uh, recorded for us in, uh, in the book of uh, Genesis. In the book of Genesis, in uh, chapter 21, you know, or chapter 20, we read in verse 5, Revelation 20 and 5, and he who was seated on the throne, this great white throne judgment, behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, write this down, for these are the words of a trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, and the one who conquers will have his heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murders, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and, and liars, how does lying fit into the list of murderers? Because all sin is detestable to God. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. My friends, there is an ultimate judgment in which those who would be in Hades will be thrown into this lake of fire. And there they will be tormented for all eternity. Quite a story, huh? Well, let's take a look here, my friends. So here in verse 23, we find the rich man, and he is in Hades. And what is happening there? He is in torment. 
And my friends, two things take place in this man's life that ought to be in your life every single day. It is prayer and it is concern for those who are lost. Take a look at his story, my friends. In verse 24, this rich man who lived and feasted sumptuously and he had the wonderful soft clothing that it might not chafe against his body. But here he is, having lived for the rich of this world, he is now in torment. And he cries out to Abraham, apparently the ability to see those on the other side, those who are in comfort and those who are in pain. And he called out, verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Well, it's a little late for that, isn't it? I mean, his sudden concern about mercy certainly belies the fact that he only ever thought about himself. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send, send Lazarus, you know, that blob of a man that sat at my gate and he smelled bad. Send him to go dip his finger in the water so that he might put his tough finger on my tongue and, you know, it's so parched down here. I mean, look at this. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Friends, do not miss this, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime, remember feasting sumptuously and all these things, you, you received your good things. And Lazarus, you may recall, the smelly guy at the gate, in like manner, his bad things, but now he is comforted here. And you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. You see, he was receiving the fruit of his choices, my friends. Just as Proverbs 21 verse 13 says, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Have mercy on me. And the answer is too late. Too late. You had a lifetime of choices. But today, it's too late. Well, he had another prayer, as we would anticipate from this man. Verse 27 tells us, he cried that not only at first he had asked for mercy for himself, um, but then he asked to have mercy on his family. Notice verse 27, and he said, Well, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. <coughs> what is this? A man in torment because of the righteous judgment on his sin is suddenly concerned about his family and the fact that they will end up in the same situation as he is in without the mercy of God. Look at verse 28. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Now here's a guy who's not messing around. 
experiencing what he is experiencing. And there is no hope of escape. And you know what comes to mind? What about the people I care about? Oh, what I would do to reach them and warn them and tell them, lest they end up in this place. What will it take to get you there? Well, Abraham said this. Well, they have Moses and the prophets talking about the scriptures. They have been warned. These are the people of God, the people of the book. This is the nation of Israel. Certainly they know Moses. And he said, no, no, Father Abraham. But, but if someone goes to them from the dead, I mean, send Lazarus. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent, right? I mean, surely if someone was raised from the dead, they would listen to him. I mean, people are selling books like hotcakes these days. Oh, yeah, we've been to heaven and everything. Yeah, waiting to hear that about that book as someone who went to hell. Well, here it is right here, my friends. And this is what he's got to say, repent. Moses says, nope, they have, Abraham says, nope, they have Moses. And the prophets let them hear that. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent but Abraham says this in verse 31. <coughs> if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will be they, they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This was not theoretical, my friends. Jesus, as he is teaching this right now, in the past, you remember, he went into the tombs and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Mary and Martha no, Lord, he stinks by now. Don't go in there. And out he comes. And you know what they tried to do to Lazarus in John chapter 11? They tried to put him to death. That doesn't sound like listening to someone who has risen from the dead. Jesus, who rose from the dead, was seen by, not only by his disciples, but 500 people at one time. Did they believe? And even today, he is rejected. My friends, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And it is true. Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 28 tells us this. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy. God has revealed his truth. His truth is to be believed and acted on. And anyone who sets it aside dies without mercy. Verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? You hear the gospel and you mock it. And you say, yeah, that sounds ridiculous, a man rising from the dead. And so what if he did? What difference does it make? It's profaned the blood of the covenant by which was sanctified and was outraged by the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, listen carefully, my friends, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. 
and be reminded of this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Fear this. Well, my friends, in order of response, I hope the first thing you're doing is confirming that you don't end up in a place like that. You know the gospel. Christ died for our sin. He took the penalty that you and I deserve. And we deserve it. Without grace, we are, of all men, we are miserable and hopeless. And we have hell to pay. But secondly, I hope that the Spirit of God has brought a name to mind of someone you know you need to go one more time and keep praying for the opportunity that the Spirit of God might open their eyes and change their heart and hear the gospel and believe. My friends, salvation is a work of God. And if you don't have the same concern about someone's soul as this guy, friends, something is deeply wrong. There is someone that God has placed in your life, and they need Christ. They need to hear the gospel explained, maybe even a different way, or maybe one more time. Do not give up. Well, my friends, let's wrap it up. Bible to go. The sermon and the sentence for today is this. Fear this. Rejecting Christ results in eternal torment. This is not a game, my friends. This is eternity. Torment for all eternity. Preach the gospel, friends. And how about this? If your citizenship is in heaven, then start living like it. Ask yourself the question, what would someone who is living for Christ do and do it? Famous book written, I don't know how long ago, what would Jesus do was the line. People sold bracelets and necklaces and Bibles and all kinds of things with the big question, friends. And it's nice as decoration, but it is more important to say, what would Jesus have me do? I can't walk on water. I can't raise the dead but I know what it is that God has called me to do, and so do you. It's time for us to start doing it, becoming involved with people so they will know Christ personally, follow him completely, make him known broadly, feasting on the word of God, following him by faith, falling more and more in love with him every day and serving him with great abandon. Number two, God is serious about loving your neighbor. By the way, perhaps that was the greatest offense this rich man had committed. There was his neighbor desperate at his gate. He didn't have to walk across the street to make a difference. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your neighbor is yourself. And every spoon this guy shoved into his mouth was a testament against him for the man starving at his gate. Love your neighbor, friends. God meant it when he said it. The fact is, it is said, and you may have heard this old saying, that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. 
Well, I believe in it. I mean, I think we should, which most times just means somebody should, just not me. Time to open your eyes. I have a question for you, friends. Last week, we talked about greeting everybody that came within five feet of us. Do you remember that? Just remembering that now, maybe? How about this week you go at it? You talk to the people around you. I have done so even more. I like to say hi to people anyway, you know, and that sort of folk. But, but make connections. This is the first easy kindergarten step of becoming involved with people is looking, opening your eyes to the people around you and looking for opportunities that you can develop a relationship with someone, brief though it may be or long-term for life, who knows. But people need Jesus. This man is in torment. He is pleading for mercy. And he says, if I can't go, send someone for he couldn't spare a moment to think of the agony of someone he cared about in torment for eternity. How about you? How about you, friends? How about you? Number three, obey God. It is the obedience of faith that hears God and responds what it is that God has called us to do. Obedience honors him because it is a step of faith to hear it and to do it. And I close with this story. There was a new believer on a plane and he had a bunch of new books that his mentor had given to him to read, maybe something on the plane. But next to him was this, this old atheist scoffer. And he looked over and he began to laugh. The young guy looked over, what's so funny? He says, I see you got a Bible there. You believe that? Like, oh, yeah, 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 I, I, I believe what, what God says, yeah, yeah. He says, you believe everything in there? Like, huh, yeah, oh, yeah, from, from Genesis to maps, I mean, the whole thing, you know? And the guy says, like, that Jonah thing, the Jonah and the whale? I mean, do you believe that's true? You know? Well, he says, yeah, I do. I mean, how do you know? He says, well, I'll know for sure when I get to heaven. And then I'll ask God. You know, I'll ask Jonah. Well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? Well, then you can ask him. Well, that would mean he's in hell. That would mean that this guy would spend an eternity in agony and in torment. And that's not funny. I know I set you up on that one, friends. But let me leave you with that empty feeling in your stomach until we start living the way we ought to with compassion for people who will spend an eternity in hell.